Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting families, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is the Next Reels Film Board on Rashpixel.fm. Each month, a gang of thugs gathers to take on a film fresh in theaters and spoil that film rotten. This month, we're tripping over ourselves to talk about the new movie from Jordan Peele called Get Out. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm running the show because JJ JJ got scared and didn't want to see this movie. Uh, anyway, thankfully, other thugs are up to the task and have seen this movie, and here we go, around the horn... Welcome, Tommy Hanson. Hello, friends. Good to be here. That was right off the bat. I'm doing good. Hello, friends. That was like at a... Yeah, no, that was good. That was at like a white people party in the suburbs. (laughs) That's what that sounded like. And Andy Nelson, welcome. Howdy, howdy. And we, uh, we welcome a new guest. A new guest to the show tonight. I'm so excited, mostly because we've heard a lot about this person uh, because I think he talks talks smack about us when when he disagrees. <laughs> it is Darnell Smith. Darnell, welcome to the show. Hey everybody, how's it going? <laughs> great, great uh, to to have you here. Finally, we have heard a lot about you, uh, and uh, I I don't know after hanging out with Tommy talking about you know when we when we say things that are just egregiously wrong. I don't know why you're even here. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, we end up watching just about all the movies he sees, especially superhero movies, because he's like, I, I, yeah. I don't know fake things looking at fake things. Come watch this with me. So I, I yeah. thought it would be good to participate. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we are thrilled to have you. And uh, especially on this film, because as a, a black guy <laughs> to join us on this show for a movie that really demands perspective that white guys yelling at the theater screen may not have. So we appreciate your insight and demand that this is not the only show that you join us on because we need you on superhero movies too. Right, right. B- B- Black Panther will be coming up soon. And, uh, <laughs> we might go back uh, and rewatch 42. <laughs> right, 42. Let's do right. that. Oh, uh, who, who's in for a girl's do trip? Do you know what? Let's for, do all <laughs> Uh, this is uh, okay we've got the gang all uh, all set and ready to go here we are we're going to be talking about this movie before we do make sure to head over to thenextreel.com you can subscribe to the show anywhere the finer podcasts are served and of course follow us on twitter and facebook at the next reel all right initial thoughts on this movie which is clearly uh, undersold on the poster the it, it i think the tagline should have been a story about white people who love too much. <laughs> Tommy, do you want to kick us off? You love this. Uh, you love this stuff. I do love this stuff. And I think that uh, Jordan Peele did an amazing job, especially as a first timer. But there's no reason to sort of put him in that category. The script was so much smarter than I was. Than I, I say this again sometimes. Uh, so much smarter than it needed to be. There were just layers and layers and a lot of stuff to unpack. Um, while it wasn't terribly scary like a horror film, I would think, like I know our uh, compatriot Steve had written in about, that it's probably a little bit more of a psychological thriller. But uh, that being said, I had a marvelous time. I thought it was really, really fantastic. Andy, what did you think? I also thought it was pretty great. Um, I had some story uh, construction issues, but um, but overall, I thought that uh, I was really kind of surprised that uh, Jordan Peele was the man behind this because I thought uh, for somebody who's so funny, um, it was kind of exciting to see him doing something that was also so uh, thrilling and had such kind of a, a fun take on on a, a kind of a smart horror movie. So I had a I had a great time with it. Darnell, your thoughts, sir? I I agree. I agree with you. The marketing is a little strange because the the poster. 
and the trailer don't really, I think, really get into what a just what a smart and great and completely on the mark thriller this is, uh, especially coming from the perspective of, you know, I, I think this is something good Jordan, Pe- uh, Jordan Peele could do uh, because he has that unique perspective of, of, you know, being the only black guy in a room in situations. And I think this movie really took that very realistic sort of fear and paranoia that we sometimes experience and made it actually about something. Uh, and with a thriller based in reality or based in real emotions, I should say, I, I think it hit all the marks. And, and without the social commentary, it was just a really thrilling story. It was a really thrilling film. Loved it. I uh, I am so glad to hear that. I am not a huge fan of uh, of generally of horror movies. I'm trying so hard, and I have asked for therapy. I've asked Tommy to give me therapy. I I deeply <laughs> want to to get better at seeing horror movies. So I was nervous going into this film because I thought it was going to be a horror movie. It was absolutely not. This is so right up my alley. I loved it. I had one one little tiny problem which was a blocking problem that we'll talk about but generally i found myself engaged by these characters soup to nuts all the way through even the idiot brother uh the idiot kung fu brother the mma guy i even liked him i liked everybody in this movie their performances were just fantastic i was absolutely wrapped into the to the thrill of the thriller and uh i i gotta tell you i walked out saying i can't wait to show more people this film i want to see it again like right away yes i i I agree i i felt like uh, I felt like I wanted to see it, you know, a in, a in a black theater because I felt like <laughs> this would have been a good. A, a, this is a movie I think for many different backgrounds. You know, I I, I think that there's a perspective uh, that maybe you guys got to see where it's like this is what going uh, to this sort of strange world is like through the eyes of, of a black person. But then for kind of black people watching it, this is the thriller we've always wanted to see. You know, we wanted to see the brother who works for TSA come out and solve the crime. <laughs> and, and you know, we wanted to see our hero kind of get his comeuppance, which, which I hope I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into. That was that's a really funny thing that you you bring up the theater experience and we usually talk about this at the end but I'm curious if we go around because I I sat in the theater next to and and this was you know we have reserved seating at my favorite theater right it's a, we just all get so I thought I'm going to get this like one seat that had open seats around it and I sit down and there are four guys uh, who come in and sit next to me, and they are, you know, I'm 6'2", right? I'm not a short, mm-hmm. short man, but but I'm not a, a giant. They are giant. They were towering over me, and and very large with large beards. I mean, it was, it was like the the biggest version of Duck Dynasty you've ever seen, right? And they were just very, very, very white guys sitting right. next to me, and I'm I'm already a pretty darn white guy, and they laughed like. Like hooligans, like this was exactly the expel. Like I found myself thinking, I feel like I'm I'm in what I imagine is the stereotype of a black theater, like <laughs> getting an absolute joy out of this movie. They they were so engaged by this movie. The the whole audience, and it was a pretty full theater the, this afternoon, was really attached to this story. I think that's something to be said for 
uh, for smart screenwriting, right? I mean, it's it's a, a film that can play. I mean, sure, it can have that social commentary, and you can see it uh, through those different perspectives. But at the same time, it's also a thriller, and it's it's a funny one at that. It's got some great comedy in it, and I think that's a sign of a good writer director who's able to kind of put that uh, more of the social message in there, but still allow it to just be a movie that people can just go and enjoy to make it accessible. Yeah, absolutely. My whole theater was very into it. I mean, everybody, uh, white and black, everybody was very much enjoying it the whole time yeah agreed our, our theater was mostly white kind of all ages but uh everyone i think there, there's something accessible about uh, uh our main character chris and the experience he's going through that made you know these themes you know uh, um universal and, and made the the other characters the white characters were ridiculous in ways that were were understandable from any perspective. No one was handled in any offensive way, unintentionally offensive way. So I, I think that's a, I think the accessibility was a big piece of this. They really stereotyped hypnotist therapists, though. And I was I found myself really <laughs> frustrated by the handling of that particular uh, trope. I forgot to be afraid of hypnotism. That's exciting. Now <laughs> yeah. I forget. I was like, "Oh, that's terrifying." <laughs> now you know. Now right. you know. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the one of the things that I liked uh, with the film as well is some of the direction and the mood of the film is really paying tribute to horror movies of the seventies, the sixties, seventies. You know, and Rosemary's Baby, that sort of thing, and you know, hypnotism. Uh, you know, along with things that are arcane now, like Ouija boards and stuff. Like hypnotism was a big thing back then, and psychology and psychiatrists where uh, they were villains. And so I, I, I was kind of on board with that. Like, of, of course, there's going to be a creepy, a creepy hypnotist in this film, you know. Totally, totally. And it, it just really worked. And when you look at, at Jordan Peele and the, what he said over and over, you know, that his favorite movies are like The Stepford Wives, you know. I mean, right. that's uh, the, this really became that sort of psychosocial thriller that I think I've, uh, we've, we haven't seen much of. Let's talk a little bit about Peele as a writer-director. Um, as you've already said, I, I also did not know what to expect going into this movie because this is the Mad TV uh, Key and Peele guy. This is the Keanu guy. This is not the uh, the the horror thriller guy. Uh, how do we think he did first uh, as a as a writer behind the film? Well, I, I, I think it's very smart. I mean, we've already kind of talked about that quite a bit. I'm going to just go into a couple uh, just story issues that I had. That coming out of it, uh, I, I still can't uh, resolve in my head, and they still kind of frustrate me. Um, the first is the fact that uh, you know we start the film with this abduction of Andre as he's kind of walking down the street and everything, and it's a, it's a great scene. It's a, my recollection is it's all just one long shot, the whole yeah. thing kind of moving around him and everything. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that whole abduction. Um, and then we find out you know where he's been taken later in the film, which was uh, which was great. But considering that the whole uh, the whole setup for this film is that you know this this uh, daughter is dating these black guys to bring them home to uh, you know put them under and all this stuff and to create this stuff. I, the whole abduction all of a sudden just seemed so just a forced open for the film, and it ended up just bothering me. I'm like, why are they now abducting this guy if they've been doing this whole thing with her taking these guys in? I really ended up not liking the opening after I kind of was thinking about that for a while. Do we know who he was talking to? I thought he was talking to her. See, I was starting to think that he was talking to... I wasn't sure who he was talking to. You know, it wasn't her, because that would have been 
because they would there would have been more when when they figured out who he was, they would have realized they would have said something about that. And they said that, oh, he was that guy who was with so and so. I mean, they mentioned kind of oh, yeah. a rough thing, like they figured out who he was and everything. Um, but, and, and then the other thing was that I was kind of frustrated that there was, uh, so, f- I mean, considering how many photos there were of her and her boyfriends that he discovers, um, that we only ever see four people that they've taken. And I was kind of like, gosh, there, I felt like there should have been a lot more black guys in this. Well, party. and that, oh, that's right. and that two yeah. of them were grandma and grandpa. Right. Exactly. Right? I mean, right. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. And, and I guess the others were farmed out to, to, you know, other people. Yes. Uh, the the other thing is the timing of that opening scene was, you know, six months prior to the events of the right. film and they've been dating four or five months. So I, that's an interesting theory. Maybe he was going to see Rose or uh, because he was in the neighborhood for something. We just didn't know what. Um, but I, I don't know if there's a connection. I'd like to see it again and see if there is a, a connection now that we know. Yeah, yeah. You know, the only the other thing that they did say is that uh, Rose's methods for corralling people are uh, are better or something than her brother's, and that her brother's mm. methods are are you know they made reference to that. I don't know the exact uh, the exact language, but they did make reference of it, which made me it sort of connected, especially when they, when he gets in the car at the end and sees the the night helmet, which is right. <laughs> so gr- so great. <laughs> Yeah, he goes around in a suit of armor helmet, right? <laughs> in his white, his what white a, Porsche, his yeah. white, his white like nineteen eighty seven Porsche, right? Nine twenty four, just right. awful. Um, but anyway, that's what that's what made me think like that. Maybe that was his method, right? It was. It might have been just complete coincidence that he happened to be driving this neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, sees a guy that fits, uh, you know, fits who he's looking for, you know, and is, and, and decides I, I can take that guy because of my Krav Maga. Right. Right. He was, was a it, little more of a brute force person. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. Yeah. Was that guy at the beginning wearing this, the helmet? That's, yes. Yes. It was. Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well then maybe I'll, maybe I'll it was tough to see, but he was. More. Yeah. 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 I, I knew he was yeah. wearing a mask, but I it looked more like a, a gimp mask to me when I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so dark. <laughs> you know, say that would be a fascinating tie-in, <laughs> given our Bruce Willis <laughs> issues. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think Jordan Peele wrote a very tight thriller uh, with really nice surprises, good reveals upon reveals uh, as far as what the situation is, who's involved. Then the next layer is what, okay, it's not about hypnosis. It's not about just stealing black bodies. It's about brain swapping. You know, all those different layers I thought made for a pretty good thriller. Um, One thing that didn't add up, similar to kind of what Andy said about that opening, where it's like, that's neat, but doesn't really add up in the story, was the bizarre behavior of um, of the party attendees. Uh, you know, there's the shot where he goes upstairs and they're, they uh, suddenly stop, uh, right. you know, with their clatter. There's the silent bingo op- auction. That stuff was like, that. that's cool and creepy. But why is that happening? Uh, and, and so I was waiting for a reveal that they were under some sort of spell or, or something creepy about them. And that just never came. That was the problem. Yeah, that, that it felt much more in those sequences like they were the ones hypnotized. Right. Yeah. And it gave me a feeling of similar to the uh, it reminded me a lot of Rosemary's Baby, all the other uh, Satanists. Uh, but it was just like, OK, no, they're just strange brain body brokers or or, or 
customers or something like that. For me, it worked okay. I was originally um, a little disappointed by the break of the POV that the film is so much out of Chris's eyes the entire movie. And then there's just the first break, I believe, is when, uh, as as Dash just mentioned, uh, Chris goes upstairs and they all stop. It's kind of like, why are we allowed to see that? Because mm-hmm. Chris is seeing everything else. And then later, the silent auction. I understand that later it becomes sort of a necessary evil because of the amount of time that Chris spends in the sunken place that they need to keep the story moving and show the pre-op stuff involving Stephen Root and things like that. Uh, as far as the weirdness for the white people at the party, I guess what helped me with that was the video of the, I'm not even going to try that word, the cocoon-ish idea. <laughs> um, oh, yes. The okay. Um, the cocoon <laughs> idea that there is another, that it does seem ritualistic. It does seem like they right. are culty and have this other strict way of doing things that why bing, you know, why bingo cards and stuff, but then using right. them as, uh, you know, uh, being in a, as auction, as auction cards, cards yeah. stuff. It seems like maybe this is something that has been handed down. For a long right. time, yeah, which was okay. Yeah. It's it's like we're not quite invited in enough to figure out all of their quirks, and that actually makes them scarier for me. I, I like that idea as well as you know we're seeing this, we're experiencing this through Chris's eyes, and, and that seems to be a little bit of a, uh, I guess, kind of a metaphor of walking into. Uh, you know, the way black people walk into sort of white rituals and it's like, what are you guys doing? I don't understand what this is. And it's a little alien. And so I could see me. I don't know if Peel's intent was to let's make them feel a little alien so that the audience feels like this is abnormal, just oh, like sure. Chris would. So I don't know if there's a connection, but that makes sense. If so, I, I kind of like that. Oh, would it be? I mean, that was one of the first like. If you were a black person at a white person's party suffering that kind of alienation or paranoia or something, would you, in the back of your mind, always think that when you go upstairs alone, that everyone is just waiting to see, you know, looking after you, judging you or waiting to see what you're going to do or something? That's (laughs) like the, that's a personification of that kind of alienation in a thriller kind of way, which is interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Nothing else matters at this party. <laughs> right. Nothing else matters at all right. uh, because we want to know where the black guy went. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, so we're willing to stop talking. We're going to put our food down. Like, we're just going to wait. We're going, it's okay. We'll wait. Yeah. That's what, that's what. <laughs> right. That is so, so dark. Yeah. Oh, it's my goodness. Dark. And the lead in, like Darnell was saying about making it accessible and things, the lead in to the racism I thought was so fascinating of the idea of trying to ingratiate yourself by, you know, it seemed very well-intentioned, but horribly misbegotten of all of the, my mans of all of the, you just bring up yeah. black celebrities, black people. Yeah. Um, I would have you know, voted for Obama. Right. Time. That's like a line that he uses so much that his father or, or his daughter even says it like, that this way of yeah. trying to make a connection actually is a version of racism very much on its own because you, the only way that you are trying to ingratiate or connect with someone is based on skin color. And that right. seems like such a white foible maybe to do. <laughs> Definitely something that my grandparents, my late grandparents would have done, honestly, yeah. of just sort of like 
Yeah, I mean they would. Well, it's over. Yeah, over. It's overcompensating, and then uh-huh. and then even like the next horrible step of that is they would uh, talk about, oh, he's one of the good ones. Right. I'm kind of calling right. out my grandparents. I don't mean to put them on blast. Uh, Rest in peace. But like, I mean, I think that that's yeah, universal right. <laughs> of like oh, people's grandparents generally like one generation or two generations ago. Eh, coming from a different yeah, place yeah, a little bit. Right. Yeah. Well, well, and I, I, I would even say, you know, uh, even currently when we deal kind of with race, we, we don't deal with the, you know, the film kind of showed the microaggressions of. Hey, I love Obama too, or my favorite golfer, Tiger Woods. But then also with Jeremy went as far as him treating uh, Chris and talking about his body and his, his genetics, his gene, yeah, yeah, his genes and all that, the yeah. overt racism. But I, I really like, uh, and, and I'm, it sounds, it's really neat that you guys picked up on the sort of microaggressions. And these are the sort of things that some black people have to deal with, you know, day in, day out at work or, you know, in the case of, you know, like my wife is white, you know, and going to family events. Her family is incredibly nice and don't I don't really have to worry about that at this point. But it is in the back of my mind of like, oh, am I going to have to talk about basketball, uh, which I know <laughs> nothing about uh, just because they want to connect with me or or I go to a store. And don't don't worry, Darnell. Now all they'll want to talk about is the movie Get Out. Is the movie Get Out, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. But, but, right. but, you know, so or it's, it's, you know, yeah, or or sometimes you know I'll be I'll be you know at at a store or something and, and you know you'll see the the guy will say hello sir hello ma'am and with me it's like hey man and it's just like no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so so I I I think it's really I think it was really good for the movie to really present that this is what this experience is and how um, you know bizarreness aside it was it was a little exhausting for Chris to navigate that. You know, you really wanted him when he's like, I got to go to my room. I want to get on the phone. I want to talk to this one other black person. I, I felt, and I don't know if you guys felt the same way, like, oh, yes, take a break from all this. You know? mm-hmm. I thought that was a great element of it where it really did make me feel like, oh, this is overwhelming. I, I want to get out of this room, too. You know, I mean, these guys <laughs> right. were just like horribly uh, constricting with all of their uh, all of the way that they were handling everything. So I thought that uh, that Peel did a great job of that. And I thought uh, mm-hmm. uh, is it Daniel Kaluuya did a great job uh, performing that. You know, I mean, it was really yeah. he really uh, brought it uh, as far as making me feel uh, like walking in his shoes and just feeling as uh, mm-hmm. uncomfortable as he was feeling at this particular party and in this house. Well, while being very understated, like really reacting just sort of the way that you would in front of people because you don't want to be like, I got to get out of here. You know, it's just sort of like right. politely grossed out. <laughs> yeah, and, and being like, <laughs> absolutely, and being like, this isn't the first time that I've heard this right. before. You know, this is old hat to me. Uh, and I also think Allison Williams did a great job playing off of that, uh, of being his confidant who still can't quite understand what he's talking about. And so yeah. he, he, you know, he had something really good to play off of with her. She wasn't naive about race issues, but maybe just didn't quite understand the nuance of, of the problems he dealt with at first until, you know, later on in the movie when we know right. what's going on with her. How was her transition for I, everybody here? Did did you guys buy into the the very abrupt transition that she makes? I, I, I was torn if I was buying it or not, because it, it, it is kind of a horror trope. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like there are so many times where I'm just like, you know, she's she seems so authentic. And then to just have such a turn, like we never see a single little glimmer of anything, which I, I obviously mm-hmm. was part of the, 
the plan, but um, I don't know. I was a little torn on that. I was still playing catch up in the reveals as Darnell, I think, I think it was Darnell already said of that it kept getting deeper than I thought it was that I thought that she had been hypnotized. Yeah. Yeah. By her family, that she was not in on it. That was just being that she had a predilection or whatever it is. And then they kept using her like this. So it didn't bother me because I had already figured out what was going on and again was wrong. I, I'm exactly with you on that, Tommy. I, I went through all three of those scenarios so quickly in my just sort of level of confidence play. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I knew that she was a part of it. I knew that she was a, an unwilling, uh, you know, unwilling participant. I knew that she was still her his uh, his girlfriend. I knew those things simultaneously, <laughs> right. and it broke my brain. Yeah. Like it was very difficult. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was really well played. Yeah, I agree. I, I was so invested in their relationship and the earnestness of, of the love they, they demonstrated to each other that in the back of my mind, I was like, well, if her family's crooked, she's got to be crooked too. And, no, put that out of your mind. That can't be. Yeah. And then uh, when he finds the photos of all the other black boyfriends and, and the lure, she was the lure, I got that feeling from, uh, I, I don't know if you remember Casino Royale, when Bond finds out that Vesper betrayed him. It, it, that same broken feeling of like, oh no. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I was really, really torn over it because I was so sold on their relationship, which is a good thing the film did. I think, unfortunately, I don't know if they really uh, recovered the character of Rose as, as an evil person for the third act. I, I, I don't think she ever bounced back. It was, you know, her eating... Uh, uh, Fruit Loops and right. being weird. Yeah, that, right. That was then weird. she just became yeah. a yeah. Maybe that's my issue. Is is she never seemed like Rose again? She always from that moment on seemed like then it seemed like she was hypnotized. She seemed like hypnotized robot girl. You know, right? And she's that, like a Terminator. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that that's right. probably what my issue is with her is that I never see Rose again. It's just you know until uh yeah it, all the way through to the end it's uh it's kind of the the terminator version of her i, just, I w- before we jump into first shot last shot i just want to get your reactions to one other very short sequence based on what we were talking about before um in in terms of jordan peele's ability as a writer director to give us a narrative that allows us to share in a cultural experience that is not our own uh, I th- it all is wrapped up for me in the sequence when uh, Chris is talking to Georgina, uh, wonderfully played by uh, Betty uh, Gabriel, uh, and says uh, he it, it, we just get cutting back and forth between these two very very close up shots uh, right on their faces, and he says uh, whenever uh, there are too many white people around, I get nervous. And then we stick on her face for a very, very long time, right? As she goes through this, the, the, the you know, we, we know now that, you know, we, we start to see that her, some, something is in there of her origin, but she starts uh, laughing and crying and laughing, and then she walks away very quickly. Um, I, that experience of watching that sequence was, was probably the most powerful sequence in the film for me because it let me, uh, it, it, I felt exhausted to your point about Chris, you know, just like, oh, man, I'm exhausted with him going through the experience. But it was the first time I realized that in some very small way, Jordan Peele has allowed me to peek under the hood 
of the kinds of things that he's experienced or mm-hmm. that it, that is a part of the cultural reality, something that I don't get to, to see. But in this film, in the first 45 minutes, I got to share ownership of it in a way, and I have... I, I just found myself walking out saying, thanks, man. That was a great experience. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't get it, but I get it a little bit, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad. It's good to hear that because that's, um, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, some of, some of the reviews have talked about this is an important film. And, and it's sort of like, really? It's a thriller. But <laughs> I think for it to generate that, that level to give you that, as you said, peek under the hood of this is something that is very real to a lot of people. Uh, you know, maybe not the Stepford wife thriller angle, but the sort of discomfort and the paranoia that has to be pushed down uh, when being in foreign situations like that. And so I, I think the movie is its greatest success on top of being a really strong thriller is really creating a sense of racial empathy that very few films could pull off. Along that same kind of line, I hope this is still along enough of that same kind of line, is my favorite uh, idea or sequence in the movie was towards the very end, or at the very end, I guess, when it was the first time in a horror movie that I can remember where a police car with its lights going showed up just in time to save the day, and I felt nothing but dread. Right. right. Yeah. Oh, yes. How smart is that? That's so smart. Because, I mean, the police are like, there's such a vision of hope in horror films of like, oh, we can, usually they're like, hey, get out of there, and then they end up dying, but still, they're a chance. And it was like, oh, after all of this, to be taken down by the police, and then it's the TSA reveal. I mean, to have a police car be such a foreboding thing was just I thought it was so fantastic. Well, and that it's a punchline to a joke that that we uh, you know I don't mean it in the funny kind of joke, but it's the punchline that we get to see that that ends the joke that starts when they got pulled over, when the cop showed up, when they hit the deer in the beginning, right? Which was that set us up for that foreboding experience. This is something she's not going to understand, but she's going to come to his defense, and that's going to be a thing that's that's between them. And the next time we see a cop in this area, we expect it to be a horrible experience, and it was a, a savior. That was beautiful. Well, and it's a great it's a great playoff of uh, you know horror tropes. You know, the, I mean, going back to like even Night of the Living Dead, how the way that film ended, and uh, and just the modern society and everything. I mean, it, they really it was a great way to play off of all of that. And I mean, I I totally was also right there with you, Tommy totally full of dread going oh here it is this is the this is going to be that dark ending again um and they they twisted it which i thought was a great way to to play with that what was the last time you saw a door open and said tsa and you cheered <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yes. that's also kind of cool because people hate the tsa wrongly right but they i mean exactly the tsa and so to make that kind of and our our theater did cheer like it yeah. broke out yeah. into applause Yes, and our, our theater uh, I, I kind of audibly gasped in dread and thought like, oh, this is, this has gotten even worse. And then uh, she, Rose, starts to play the victim. And I mean, it did look yeah. it did look like, like Andy said, it looked like this was going to end like Night of the Living Dead. And yes, that was just a great laugh moment. It's a great, it was a great way to let all the air out of the dread. I mean, to end, to end a, this type of movie... Uh, with that kind of comedy was just brilliant. Let's talk about first shot, last shot, see if we have any connections there. Uh, Andy, you want to do first shot for us? Yeah, um, we already kind of talked about it. It's a, It starts on a night 
suburban street, uh, empty except for a man walking and talking on his cell phone. Um, it's a single shot as he is is walking, trying to figure out where he is, lost in the suburbs. And then we see a vehicle pull up and kind of uh, you know start turn back to pursue him, and he changes directions, and then it goes all the way through uh, this man getting abducted, thrown into the trunk as the vehicle drives away. Uh, last shot was um, them leaving with bodies laying in the street in the foreground, um, kind of the opposite of entering the suburbs. It's finally our hero and his savior leaving the suburbs uh, in a car while some of the uh, remainders of the carnage that had gone on are laying in his wake. What do we think? What do we think? Is that a, is that a, a, a satisfying parallel for you? Well, it certainly uh, fits the the genre, right? I mean, it's it starts with the thrill and it ends in the in kind of the the resolution of that story. So to that end, I think it works, um, and it sets it up as far as you know what this story is all about, right? These abductions and and their purpose and everything. As you have, uh, you know, Rose and Grandpa lying in the road. Uh, so to that end, I think it works. And you know, the the first shot also had. Um our our guy can't remember his name but he's p- played by lakeith stanfield um as he's andre. going in the neighborhood andre andre yeah, yeah. As, he's, as he's going into the neighborhood he's talking on the phone about oh damn it i'm in, i'm in a, i'm in the wrong neighborhood this can't go well and then the last shot right before they drive away is uh rod telling him i told you not to go see her parents you know so it, it's this sort of you know black cautionary tale <laughs> Uh, on both ends of like, hey, don't don't mess around with white people, you know. So so there there was that little parallel. The song at the beginning uh, was I, I I don't know I I found myself humming that horrible song Run Rabbit Run afterwards. It mm-hmm. and and I knew I'd heard it somewhere. Uh, this is a song as the volume goes up uh, as the the Porsche drives away. Mm-hmm. Uh, abduction completed. The song was written for Noel Gay's show The Little Dog Laughed, opening in October eleventh, nineteen thirty nine. Very popular during World War II, especially after Flanagan and Allen changed the lyrics to poke fun at the Germans. Run, Adolf, run, Adolf, run, run, run. It's funny. I I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but I thought that was an interesting. I was assuming the song was some unfortunately racist song. Like back in the day of like Uh, just sort of not that I got that from the lyrics, but I was just sort of assuming that of like, what's the rabbit in that situation? Something like that. But I guess it's not. So, hooray, white people. <laughs> go, go, <laughs> <it>. okay. Uh, <laughs> Screw you, Hitler. <laughs> uh, the, ca- <laughs> the cast, uh, we've already mentioned Daniel, Kal- oh boy, Kaluuya. Yeah. Uh, he uh, plays Chris. He, first of all, man, his accent is awesome. That right. guy is a yeah. right Brit, but I didn't question that at all. Never, yeah. yeah. I, 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 absolutely. I didn't think I'd seen him before, but I, I saw him, you know, he was in Sicario. He was on uh, the UK show Skins, which I watched yep. obsessively. And, and I was like, oh, it's that guy. He is fantastic. So I hope we see him in more stuff. Well, and our, our very favorite Black Mirror. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. 15 million merits. Yeah, 15 million merits. It was just wonderful. And uh, I, I walked out of that saying, you know, it, it's one of those guys that you just say, that guy has a charisma that I, I now would like to see him in every movie that I mm-hmm. see. Like, Absolutely. I just want to see him in every movie. He was fantastic. And so subtle. Does that make you want to run out and watch uh, Johnny English Reborn? 
<laughs> except for that one. Except for that one. No, I don't. I'm not as into that. <laughs> so, uh, but but I would see Kick-Ass 2 again. Yeah, I saw it the first time. Oh, oh, shut boy. up. Oh, Allison Williams is Rose. Uh, you know, she we we know her from from Girls. We also know her as uh, uh, Peter Pan. Oh, right. Oh, right. Did you catch that? She was on the live NBC uh, performance. She played Steve. Peter Pan. Yeah. Opposite Walken. And that's such an important character to get right. And she yes, did yeah. and the writing did because it kind of is. I don't think anyone said this yet. Probably. Uh, but it's um, she's in a way the audience surrogate for liberal white people who mm-hmm. go in to watch this movie of like, well, I'm not them and ha 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 Bradley Whitford and stuff like that. But then the right. subtleties of her failings to be able to really acknowledge it or really be able to understand, like Darnell said, the subtleties of some of the racism, some of the alienation. It's She did a great job. I think that's one of those hardest things for me is when she turned out to be a baddie at the end. It was like, that was supposed to be me. <laughs> that was, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. we had. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah I agree. I thought she was she was a very uh, important. You you got you know you have to get that character right uh, because if she's too clueless or uh, too a little too nebulous, then none of it works. And and she was so sweet and endearing and under even though she couldn't quite empathize, she she seemed to like Chris and love Chris enough to be on his side. So when he would confide in her, you're like yes go 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 talk to Rose. It'll be okay. And then when it wasn't, I, I think that was great. And that was, she really did a good job. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield uh, plays Dre. Uh, and, you know, I sort of bring up Lakeith Stanfield and, and again with um, uh, Gabe, Gabe, Betty Gabriel. They did a fantastic job playing weird white people. <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> and, is that and, a thing? And not, and Marcus, not in a Marcus way Anderson of like too. being a... Um, yeah, yeah, Marcus Anderson. Too. Like an Eddie Murphy routine. Yeah, right. Like traditionally black people talk, when they talk like white people, they're like, bah, 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 and stuff. But this was, it was very finely tuned with the writing, I think really helped a lot by, for instance, um, church, church, not understanding what um, snitch was, but oh, a tattletale. Like it's almost right. like yes. some of the writing. That's exactly it's it. like yeah. it forces a way of talking. Yeah, which right. is really cool and probably helpful for the actors, I would think. Well, and and Lakeith Andres, or not uh, not Dre, but when he was coming out of his therapy session with uh, Catherine Keener, and his Oof. apology to the group uh, was really accentuated that point for yeah. me. Right? I mean, I I feel like I. Oh, you unapology. It was the the that sort of strident, like, oh, I can't even I can't even listen to this. Right. It's so right on. I have to rob you of my wit. Like yeah. Yes. It's, oh it's, yeah. It's weird daggers. Yacht party humor. Yes. <laughs> right. Ahoy, Poloy. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's almost like they played it, you know, not like you as you said, uh play it like an Eddie Murphy spoof, but Play it. Uh, Chris says a great line to Rod when he's talking to Rod. It's it's as if they missed the movement, and they kind of played these characters. <laughs> Pretend like you were never ever black. What would that be like? And you never had the black experience. And how would you talk? And how would you react? And that there was a level of that mixed with you know again the script just made them put them in very off putting situations. 
Um, and yeah, and I thought they all played it well. Like Keith Stanfield is he's fantastic on uh, Atlanta. He's one of the main characters on Atlanta, and completely different uh, in in that role. So it was it was neat seeing him play a little bit different than what we've seen him before. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't I, even mention Straight Outta Compton either, um, which is a oh, absolutely, yeah. I think um, oh yeah, I, I Marcus Henderson's conversation uh, as Walter. Uh, that he has with Chris about uh, about Rose, I thought that was also a, just a really off-putting conversation about was that how Grandpa, uh, you know, yeah, was that's that Grandpa, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, I I still don't understand his exercise routine in the middle of the night, but that being aside, his conversation <laughs> that he has with Chris is really off-putting and it's it's really interesting and, and frightening. In once you know, like in retrospect, knowing that that's Grandpa talking to him, because all those signs that Chris has when he's talking to Walter about, you know, he was very kind of aggressive. Like, you know, there's this aggressive energy that he had, like he liked you. There was mm-hmm. some energy there I didn't get. Um, I, I thought that that was a really interesting conversation that also said a lot just about uh, just kind of uh, that it came off seeming so strange to to hear coming out of uh, that that uh, character's mouth. I She's really the top of the heap. What a right. great, yeah. Yeah. What a great <laughs> turn of phrase. Old what a great old man. Right. But wait, you just questioned the exercise routine. I get that. Also, it never really occurred to me until now. Are they in charge of gardening and keeping the house up? No, and that was that was why something else they, that I was, why would they yeah. want to do that? Right. If why the would they? Well, I have a I have a theory about oh, the yeah. exercise routine. Okay, but did you have a theory about why are you in charge of uh, re- replacing drinks and like cleaning and stuff? Right. I have a th- I have a theory about that too. Would you like to hear it? I love yeah. It. What's your theory on that? All right. All right. So I my theory about that stuff is is all uh, in Stephen Root's conversation. Right. When he unveils what their whole underlying purpose is. Uh, and and why they do the brain switching thing on the TV uh, is because on the TV yeah. because you know some of them they they want to be more fit they want to do um, my I, I really believed that Grandpa was taking the body out for a run that oh, night no, right I, agree I, with I really that. yes yeah like and and so that was that didn't didn't strike me it strike me as odd a, at all and the cleaning and gardening thing felt very much like okay we've got an outsider here and this is where we need to go into disney mode oh, right we need to okay. this is where the animatronics get turned on because we have a mission we don't actually and, see and them we need doing to do our part that much stuff yeah a lot of the times right uh the uh church is just trying to cover up the scar on her head yes right exactly with incessantly moving her hair and stuff good point that makes sense yeah that plays mm. Well, I don't know if it makes sense. It only makes sense to the degree that you buy it. Sure. Uh, But no, I liked how the hair thing turned out because that lesser movies would have just had someone looking at themselves in a mirror and doing weird things and not have it be a part of the mythology. But later when you see them all, when he doesn't have a hat for the first time and when she doesn't have her hair done the same kind of way that you can see that they have weird heads. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, you ruined my house. That that was uh, that was, that was a, yeah. a great reveal. Right. I did, great. did not see that coming. Yeah, I I wondered if that was the case, uh, and then that kind of confirmed it. It was like, oh, if it, these must be the dead grandparents, and then the you ruined my house. Is like, oh wow, yeah, okay, because I I was kind yeah. of rooting for him to save uh, Georgina. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, save all the black people on the way out, and it was like, oh wait, no, <laughs> they're they, not anymore. They're, they're Right, they're brain switched. It's they, they, yeah. Oh, the important thing is though that Grandpa did. 
I'm sorry, not grandpa. The guy that grandpa's took his body. What? You know what I'm saying? Did commit suicide at the end. That let all of that go because the most horrifying thing, it doesn't make sense to me science wise, but the most horrifying thing, not terrifying, but horrifying thing in the movie is the fact that for whatever reason, they're still there in the sunken place watching. Yeah. You do all this stuff. That's bad news. Like that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. So I like the idea. I think that, that he just wanted release at that point was an important thing. Otherwise, wouldn't we want to go around and try to save everybody? Yeah, that flash finally, that's the tool that allows them that one little moment to get out. Right. It's like the it's like the yeah. name in Split. Right. That is a little bit like water in um, Signs of like there's just no uh, flash photography in this town, you're right. I guess. Right. <laughs> but fair enough, I'll right, take that's it. That's the one yeah. thing, yeah. But I agree with it. It did make uh, a lot of sense of, okay, if they're swapping out brains, how does uh, the original person's conscience stay with the body? Um, it, it, again, it's one of those things. This movie's filled with a lot of neat things that maybe aren't served well by the story or don't serve the story well. Yeah, they tried to to sort of give us a give us a something to attach to that particular point that Stephen Root tossed it they, off. They right, he totally hung a lantern on it. Right, yeah, just sort of like, yeah. oh, it's yeah. science stuff. Goodbye. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. all right. Right. Yeah, you just kind of have to like, yeah, okay, whatever. If, if sure. that's what In he context needs, of this world, <laughs> yeah, if that's what he needs to make a that horror thing work and b to make all of these kind of comments. I'm down with it. I mean, I'm fine with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, isn't right. that isn't that the case in in any horror movie? There's always going to be some you know science oddity or the car never whatever. starts, like all that right. stuff. We just have right. to be okay with things, unless we want right. to, unless we're scream. Let's uh, before we go uh, go too much further. Let's talk briefly about Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener as the um, uh, maniacal family heads. So perfect. Oh. <laughs> I just kept How laughing. Long has this been a thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Oh, I kept so awkward. I kept laughing that uh, <laughs> Catherine Keener was in this, and it was like this, and then tied to being John Malkovich is all I could think of. Is that you know in both in both cases it's people trying to get into other people's heads. I thought she was re- really good. I the effect, the hypnosis effect with the teacup, I thought was really brilliant. And yeah. I mean, it made teacups scary. And, right? and she was, yeah, and she was very good. She played it where Bradley Whitford, he was sort of uh, just kind of goofy nerd dad for a big chunk of the film, but she was, she always had this undercurrent of dread. That I, I thought worked. She she was always staring at him or glancing at someone else in, in a way where it was like, ooh, something seems off with her. Uh, and so when she first sent him down into the uh, what's it called, sunken the, place, the, the sunken place, it's like, oh, she's the villain. Okay, this is what's going on. In in particular, the way they shot the the reverse angle on the sunken place with him looking at her outside, mm-hmm. she she got way too comfortable. That mm-hmm. first time around, you know, when when he first is falling into the sunken place, as she kind of leans up to him and yeah. leads up to that little window in the fa- that was such a nice touch. That mm-hmm. I mean, you know, something's wrong with her in the first place, but uh, that was that was a really nice visual effect that that added to the narrative in a in a strong way for me. Absolutely. Anybody else uh, in the cast that you feel like we need to call attention to in particular? Jeremy was so weird. Who was? He was a little too weird. The, the son. The, the the brother. Rose's yeah. brother. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. But I guess maybe 
Yeah, I guess, I don't know. Like, he's at risk of blowing the whole thing all the time. Like, he was just so crazy, but maybe... Sitting on the porch playing the ukulele. I was yeah. just waiting for... Yeah. Yeah, God, deliverance, too much. He was just a leave thing force right away. Uh, and then they talk about him, you know, following in his, his old man's footsteps and stuff. I guess maybe he could represent just sort of the less varnished, the more just outwardly hateful towards mm -hmm. them, which I guess can work. But it did seem a little off-putting. Well, of course off-putting. It's supposed to be off-putting, but a little bit like he's bad at this. <laughs> like this, right. this weird heist. Like, why is he such a creep all the time? <laughs> The dinner, the dinner was just too much. You into MMA? Like, come on! <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, I I don't know how much of that was Caleb Landry Jones's acting, or how much was it the Jeremy character. But yeah, it was very, um, I think, off putting, but sometimes not in the way it was supposed to be. It was just like uh, it felt like a different, different, it felt like film? a different film. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, Jinx. yeah. Is he, oh, oh, I'll, I'll get you your coke tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, but I, I, I like the concept of like, here's everyone pretending and here's someone who's bad at it and kind of doesn't want to. He just wants to be a little bit more. He want, you know, he snatches them up off the street. He doesn't like luring them in a trap. So I, I like the idea of the character. I'm not sure if uh, if Caleb Jones played it with the maybe this, the nuance that it needed. That that's an interesting uh, interesting thing to think about because that's the that one part as just as we talk about it that's the one element of the film that feels like okay we're just going to be grabbing some stereotypes from crazy white people family films right. and and this is going to be that one it's going to be the porch the 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 front porch banjo guy right. and and it's just going to be weird everybody move on right. yeah yeah uh i i thought um you know rod uh as his best friend tsa agent um, the the actor was funny. I think it was great, but that as a character was was I think worth mentioning because I felt like that that's the character who he is black people talking at the theater personified. It's like you know, oh, put me in this movie and see how how I'll do. And it's sort of like Jordan Peele said, okay, well, let's put this type of person in the movie. And he's figuring everything out with his conspiracy theories, and he's putting two two together. And you know, he's yelling at the screen for us by yelling at Chris every chance he can get. I, I thought he was a really great character and really, really good that the movie after a while was like, let's cut to him and see him figure all this out and get nowhere with the police. And, you know, I, I really like that aspect of it and him showing up to save the day. That makes sense. All while being funny. Uh, you know, I was actually I was actually relieved that they did that. I mean, that they gave that character and uh, the actor, uh, Lil Rawl Howery, is, uh, was very, very funny. But they gave him much more weight, sort of orbit in the last, uh, you know, the bottom Instead of, of the just film. being the funny or sassy black friend. Yeah, they did not play him as a stereotype, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, his, cool. his, uh, his arc, like he had such a great arc going from just the, the guy who's like, you know, just his buddy house sitting to now he's digging in and he's he's trying to convince my one of my favorite scenes is when he's trying to convince the detectives of his crazy story and she brings in all the friends to hear it. That was just fantastic. <laughs> and then and then saving the day. And I loved his moment when he's just sitting there and he's just like, I told you so. I told you, know, you so. Whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I told you. I, yeah, you know that was another kind of satisfying thing. There were a number of "I told you so" moments, which I thought were really gratifying. He says it to, or Chris says it to Rose too. You know, I, mm -hmm. I told you, 
I told you. Mm-hmm. Now we know, of course, that it was all an act. But, but at the time, the first time you see it, you're thinking, yeah, wow, that's that's really great. He was totally right. And I, I feel resolved that he called her out on it, on her naivety. Um the uh, the the other thing about that the the police sequence that I thought was funny is that the all the detectives that she brings in they're they're all black right yeah and so now we have all three of the black detectives laughing at the black TSA agent <laughs> which I thought was really f- funny and like it shows kind of a nuanced complexity that you know what like we're I, I don't know I I don't know it just felt like uh, they could have brought in the surly kind of Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, right. old white detectives and. Uh, for some reason, I found it funnier yeah, that this guy can't yeah, even I, get support I, from his own people. Right. It, it was too you know? outlandish for even his own people. Yeah. But even at one point when she called in the buddies, I was like, oh, is this a serious thing? Are, are we going to have uh, black cops run and save the day? So I, I liked that I didn't know where it was going. And for it to turn out to be, oh, it's going nowhere because we think he's crazy. I thought that was a that was really funny as well. Yep. You know, he was trying everything with with the level of 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 cleverness that he has mixed with the common sense. You know, he was trying everything he could to save his friend, you know, trying to record uh, Rose and on on the call. And and that didn't work. And, you know, I I, I just I really liked his little his little arc and, and how it ended up working and saving the day. Yeah, it was great. Cinematography by Tony Oliver. I want to mention cinematography and um, uh, editing for this film. Uh, first, uh, Tony uh, or Toby Oliver, what do we think of uh, of how this thing was lensed? I thought it was uh, a lot better. Again, as I said at the top of the show, um, I had some worries watching the trailer. The trailer was poorly cut and it looked a little flat, but I think the film itself, I, actually, it, it was serviceable. It was pretty good. I thought it had a good nod to uh, horror cinema of the of the seventies with some of the uh, some of the warm lighting uh, and, and some of the very slow and still shots. I, I liked it. Yeah, there were some nice shots. The one that uh, for some reason that that uh, stuck with me is the one when when Chris is uh, strapped into the chair in the basement and and the camera kind of uh, lingers on the deer, it's like it's almost like a very Kubrickian sort of shot right behind him looking up at the deer and then just kind of a very slow uh, tilt down as we kind of see him and the TV. But it, it's just done so slowly that it just, I don't know, just the way that the camera moved in that particular space I thought was very interesting. Yeah, and I thought it was smart that it was pretty unfussy until the reality started to drop away. Not the reality, meaning the, when it being like, oh, this is a thriller, these people are crazy, there's a cult, that kind of stuff, that a lot of it wasn't filmed in too much quote-unquote horror movie kind of angles. They didn't cut the frame a lot. Like there was, Mm -hmm. everything was pretty easily seen. Everything was pretty much in MCUs or CUs and stuff. That helps, that helped for me with the idea of, is he being paranoid? Is it, you mm-hmm. know, that weird? Because if you would, if everything was cynical, uh, not cynical, but sinister from the beginning, then it would just sort of be so much more one-sided. Although they do have a couple of really, like, uh, the, the choices of jump cuts were very strange. There are only a couple of them. And the first one is, like, Grandma walks 
behind the scene, right? Behind him down the hall, which is totally not a jump cut worthy thing. What are you saying? Jump but cut man, or did jump they scare? Slam the- are you saying jump scare? Or jump scare, jump Got scare. It. Not yeah. a jump. I'm sorry, jump scare. It was totally not jump scare worthy thing, right? It was right. just one of those, uh, one of those kind of, right. oh, grandma's also in the house. Uh, so I, I don't know. I was unmoved by some of the, uh, efforts for the, the, the jump scares, yeah. um, the editing to the, to the point in the room, in the locked room, that's my only challenge. And I, I'm not sure if it's a, you know, I, I said it was a blocking challenge. I'm not sure if it's a blocking oh, yeah. or a cutting, maybe they just didn't have the right film, but it's when, uh, it's when he is, he, he, Chris has the stuff in his ears, so he doesn't hear the teacup. He's pretending to be out and, uh, uh the brother comes in to, to get him and unbuckles him. The brother is standing like less than a foot from the chair and somehow he's able to chris is able to stand up Mm -hmm. and go get a bocce ball and sneak up behind him and beat him in the head like he's not even out of the field of vision based on where he's standing in relationship to the the wheelchair and that bugged me so much because this film isn't generally full of stuff that that i caught that took me out of it and this one sure did well that's that's a moment that i think that that peel used a couple times because uh i also noticed the exact same technique used at the very beginning when andre is is captured um because and i guess he just plays it in a way where if it's not in frame uh you know the character that we're looking at doesn't hear it and doesn't see it because uh, the exact same thing, you know, right. he would hear that yeah. that car go into park. He would hear the door open, all of that door sort of open, stuff. But, yeah. Right. All of mm-hmm. that stuff. He he hears none of it and, and doesn't see any of it. And then we spin around and we see, oh, the door is open. And then all of a sudden the guy comes up behind him. I mean, so it's it's just a technique I think Peel was using. I didn't. That was a, a you know a, an effect that I also was a little a little uh, not quite so sure of. But, you know, in context, I guess I'll give it to him. Well, yeah, because otherwise the film is super smart. And Andy, I actually blame you for why I respond this way to this stuff, because we talked about it explicitly in the Indiana Jones, uh, when we started talking about Indiana Jones, many years ago now, because Spielberg does this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it drive, now it drives me batty. <laughs> right. Where if it's not, if, if the character on screen doesn't see it because it's outside of the scope of the frame then it doesn't exist and it's it's one of those weird film techniques that a lot of a lot of films especially horror end up using quite a bit and that's i guess my point i don't feel like this film needed it it was smarter than that yeah yeah um i think another another way it did it maybe a little more smart was when uh dean bradley whitford was standing there and he turns and then all of a sudden, Chris sneaks up on him with with the deer antlers. Uh, that was a little like, oh, that's a little long of a hallway to sneak up on him. <laughs> but it was a, it was a good thrill. It was a, it was the audience's like, okay, we're fighting to the death here. Uh, I, I I did like that, but there is a lot of that. It's a lot of, and yeah. it's a horror trope. Yeah, that this movie didn't need to do. See, that's why I need to watch more horror movies so that I can. I can have that same experience as you guys and be okay with it. <laughs> right now, it just bugs me. Uh, the uh, effects, you know, I think, who was it? Tommy, who made the the point about the uh, effects? Uh, I made one point, um, which was just that the biggest CGI, I guess you would call it CGI, is involved in the sunken place. And I like that they didn't try to do too much, that it was really just sort of an underwater effect without being underwater and mostly oh. blackness looking up at kind of a TV screen. 
the TV screen thing didn't thrill me at first, but then when I understood what was going on, I liked it better. Most importantly, especially for a Bloomhouse thing, you do not have money for crazy CGI. So if you're going to, that's what makes Bloomhouse such a brilliant uh, production company. Um, so for it's, it would seem like the most practical of CGI effects. And I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked it because it didn't bring me out of it. It made me sort of understand just the, as much as I needed to of what that feeling would be like of being able to sort of see what's happening, not being control and drowning in your own body. Well, that t- reminds me of of the feeling of being anesthetized, right? Of, oh, of kind of losing consciousness. Yeah, I I really felt like that. Like I I was. This is maybe as close as I've ever felt to an on screen representation of what it feels like to have tunnel vision. Yeah, I, I think that it it was a great way to show. You know, it was almost him at the bottom of this of this pool, and I. Th- think the helplessness um was was really well captured in that and to tom's point the, the way it was done in this very simple way and it wasn't you know, there wasn't a lot of effects or music or anything any cheats put onto it um I, I think really helped so every time he went there there was a sense of dread it, it was like the sunken place felt like a real uh place of fear uh, which is what, what i really enjoyed with it Be- being yeah. able to so physically fight against what's happening but as if you're underwater that's nightmare situation of like absolutely running down a hallway but your feet get stuck in the floor kind of a thing when when they knocked him out and they were at the end you know and and the the three of their faces were over him Mm. Uh and and she like leaned in and said you were one of my favorites and and like Uh. kissed him on the screen that was that that feeling of help helplessness was just palpable it was really terrifying agreed yeah all right. The last point is uh, that I have was on music as we get toward wrapping up here, and that's Michael Abel's. Has he done anything else? This was his first film score. He's uh, uh, he's an African American composer who has done uh, just a lot of stuff. Actually, a lot of a uh, lot of different varieties of music. It looks like, but um, um, you know, I found a quote of Peel saying, "I wanted Michael Abel's who did the score to create something that felt like it lived in the ab- in this absence of hope, but still had black roots." I thought the the score right out of the gate um, had a really creepy kind of tone to it, like with some of the the, the chanting and the the stuff that was going on. Was that was that, really, a, was that mm-hmm. fake language? Like in I, I couldn't tell. I could never Adiamos. Well, like it seemed to, like one of those that was maybe like using a sound. Adiamos, that's the one, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was like using the the lang- like the feeling of language, but not actually making real. Music. I was wondering if it was some of that. I, I liked, I loved that song. Song yeah. is tough. That part of the score. It reminded me, it, it was like um, mixing the, if we're talking about the song over the opening credits uh, right. at the beginning. Yeah, that, opening that, and closing. Yeah, that felt a little like uh, something from the Omen with the Gregorian chants right. mixed with, uh, given it a spiritual a, a gospel. Yeah, with yeah, a spiritual. If, if yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of gospel to it, which was just like, okay, this is very fitting. It's interesting you say that, Andy, because I'm like, this is like the black version of a song from The Omen or right. <laughs> you know, uh, or one of those classic horror films. I loved it. Yeah. That song is titled Sikiliza Kwa Wahenga. Oh, and oh. It's, uh, that sounds available on the soundtrack, which is you can find right That's now interesting. on Apple Music. Those and words Spotify. sound African, honestly, to yeah. me, but I wonder if it's yeah. fake African or real African. Ooh. Or real. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
We'll never know. Uh, you can well, also says, get the, says, the hit song <laughs> <laughs> Ukulele Walk, which I know you it, it, you're one. Oh, I kind of want to do that one. Wikipedia. Oh, I've already Spotified that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia does say, uh, you know, because everything they say is is accurate, uh, but it does say um, the final score features Swahili voices as well as blues influence. So uh, okay, okay, there you go. Well, it was great. You go, Michael Abel's. Nice wow. score. Great work, except for that uh, that horrible sk- uh, sting on that uh, that jump scare. <laughs> yeah, the jump yeah. scare. The granny <laughs> was not, not so necessary. I jumped. Tom, Tom, yeah, Tom audibly gasped. Like, <laughs> and then immediately, do you remember? I immediately felt bad about it. Right. I was like, Ging! it was like someone threw a cat on a piano, oh, and I was like, ah! oh come on, completely. Yeah, yuck. I totally did. Totally well, unnecessary. <laughs> How, uh, you know, we've only, it, it only just opened as we're talking about this. Do we have any first day numbers? Andy, have you checked? I have a feeling this movie is going to be good and then it's going to have legs. I I think it will have legs. I've gotten well, two yeah. texts from two different friends saying, hey, all I read about is the get out is supposed to be good. Will you see it with me? Yeah. <laughs> of like ones that don't usually see horror movies, but would right. want a horror friend like me my my wife doesn't see movies at all with me like i think i've seen five movies in the theater in 18 years of marriage like she just is not into movies and and she (laughs) right (laughs) and and she tells me yesterday on her birthday that that's a thing she might want to do is go see this movie because she heard about it on npr (laughs) so well if that's not if that's not a white lady thing to say i don't know what this movie is coming Yeah. yeah fresh air said that (laughs) <laughs> um, this right. movie is coming out. The timing of this movie is perfect. Is so oh, relevant sure, yeah. and so weirdly exactly some of the anxiety of our times without yeah. without rubbing noses in things. Like it's just very, very. Yeah. This could really take off. Yeah, and I hope that uh, that you know people do reach out and see it because I I, th- I feel like it's a movie that. If you don't know, if, hey, get out. What's that about? Oh, a black guy goes with his uh, visit his white girlfriend's family and it turns out that they're all killers or whatever. That will immediately could turn off a lot of people, right. especially a lot of white right. people that could go, oh, uh, that's another white guilt movie. And, and I, I hope that people maybe uh, push past that and go see it because I think I think there's something real, real neat there for everyone. Yeah. So that yeah. that's a, a worry I do have is that sometimes oh black movie I'm not into it. It's like, well, that's no, what's so crazy. It. What's so crazy about this movie is that it you know you're right that the way you kind of it, it'd be so easy to toss off what this film is about, but what you don't get is that weird undercurrent of black fetishism that this right. that this film capitalizes on in a way that makes you look at. At, at the race issue in a different way. And and that I've never seen a movie like this or take yeah. on this issue in this way. And and it's it's really fascinating. Well, but but that's something I think that a lot of great horror movies do. It's a great genre for that. And not a lot of directors do it, but I think that you can find a lot of really interesting things said in horror movies. So it's it's a it's a great um, it's a great story to tell here, and I think that he does a great job. It still is getting, uh, you know, after 134 uh, critic reviews, it still has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a wow. pretty wow. pretty rare thing, um, unless it's a, a film that only has like two or three reviews and they're all really good. But I mean, yeah, this is still sitting at 100%. Um, wow. From what I'm seeing, that this movie is projected 
to to make twenty eight point eight million this weekend. Um, wow, it, for a Bloomhouse movie, that's huge. Great. It looked like um, it earned first place in the Friday box office chart with ten point eight million, a little higher than they predicted, but not quite up to the heights that seemed possible. Apparently, after Thursday's one point eight million preview opening. Um, but still, it looks like it's a, a great spot for it, and it looks like if it can keep it up, that it's going to end up uh, uh, owning the weekend. So that's great. That's yeah. great, and it's, I'm sure it's a has a very low production budget. It doesn't seem like it had much of a budget. And so. again, that's the Bloomhouse shingle. I mean, that's the idea. Yeah, they keep all that nice. stuff so little. Production budget was five million. Production budget. Wow. Yep. So th- wait, that's yeah. that's two Bloomhouses in a row for film. Board. Yeah, split also on a five million dollar budget. Yeah. Wow. And that's great because the the one thing that I hope we get out of this is is Jordan Pill as a hit Hollywood director. I think he's fantastic. Oh, absolutely! Here, this here. is a great totally. first ep- effort. Let's. Uh, I think it's probably time for us to rank it. Uh, you know, I've done a couple of raps in the past, <laughs> and this oh, this no. time I thought I would do a rap <laughs> that would be written by one of the horrible white people in this film. So here's how it goes. <laughs> <clears throat> My name is Tommy Hanson, and I'm here to say that I like to rap in a flick chart way. I really like the movie, and that's no jive. Hey, Harriet Tubman, wish she was alive, because she was great, and Denzel is too. If I could give out Oscars, I'd give him too. But it's time to rank Get Out, so let's do it, my bro, and we can have some tea at the end of the show. Word to your moms, flick chart. <laughs> <laughs> was that Brilliant. was that a mistake? <laughs> so I will tell. Fair enough. I will tell. Head over to flickchart.com slash TNR film board if you want to check out the uh, the list of films we have talked about on this very show, or you can just swipe over to your to the show notes on your podcast app of choice and uh, and you can tap on it. Just tap on the little flick chart link. It'll take you right over to get out and flick chart. You can add it to your library and let's See how it ranks, Andy. First up, we have Get Out or The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Oh, this is going to be tough. I'll go last. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I will say Get Out. I will say Get Out. Get Out. Get Out. All right. Next, we have Get Out or Prisoners. Oh, jumping right to a difficult one. Oh, wow. wow. Um, Get Out. I would say Get Out uh, first. Yeah. I'll have to abstain. I've not seen Prisoners, and I have to fix that. Yeah, you, you do you have to fix should, that. Yeah. It's a really yeah. great film. It's a really hard film to watch uh, a second mm-hmm. time. So uh, yeah. I I probably would pick Prisoners just because I I, I think that uh, what Villeneuve does with that film is great. But Get Out's going to be uh, the, the one that takes it for me because it's going to be so much easier to watch again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, get Out or The Martian. Definitely Get Out for me. Get Out. Get 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 Out. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it just for the record, get out, which kind of surprises me because I was big on, on the market, yeah. but yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah. Get out or Kingsman, the secret service. Kingsman. Yeah. Ooh. I'm going to say Kingsman. I'm going to say get out. <gasps> oh my gosh. Rochambeau. Pete, do your job. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm pretty hardcore uh, Kingsman on this one. I mean, you know, I took my uh, underage daughter to see that movie. That was that was a grand parenting <laughs> wow, mistake. That's a bad yeah. call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bad it was a horrible, call. horrible. Thing. <laughs> the yeah. things that she's learned now. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh boy! All right, Get uh, Out or Split? Oh, last month's movie. 
Oh. I have to abstain. Oh, you I have still haven't well. seen Split? No. Oh, yeah. I really, me. I really liked both, but pound for pound, Get Out is smarter. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like if I'm saying Split, it's mainly because of the ending. Right. Um, which, uh, you know, I mean, it's great, but at the same time, I think that, uh, and, and I do really enjoy Split. I, I probably would watch Split again first, but I think Get Out's the smarter film. Get Out just has so much more to unpack in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, believe it or not, that puts it at number five on our chart. Five wow. out of 55. So uh, great job, Jordan Peele. Nice. Such a great film. What does that do for your Letterboxd ranking over at letterboxd.com slash the next reel? I am at four stars on this one. I had some story issues, like I said, but otherwise I thought it was a pretty fantastic film. Uh, yep, I'll go four. <laughs> I I would also do four. I I, I, uh, I was going I back think, and forth I think between after, three and a half and four. What are you, Darnell? Yeah. I'm between four and four and a half, and I think if I see it a few more times, I, I think this film is going to be one that I'll be watching and we'll be talking about for years to come, but right now, having seen it just one time, it would be four stars. It is a four-star film for me as well, and I did not expect to be saying that. Uh, I was really apprehensive going into this movie, but I enjoyed this film That's so great. Lot. That's awesome. Yeah. Good pick, film yeah. board. Really good pick, Screw film you, board. Child 44. We're back! <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so where do we go from here? Anybody happen to know? Well, believe it or not, we have a, our next film board is next week because we went from the end of February to the beginning of March and we're going to be uh, talking about Logan, our next uh, big uh, Marvel movie. Woo! Oh, man. Outstanding. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for that. Uh, this has been a, a wonderful conversation, gents. I am so glad we talked about this movie. Thank you all for your participation Tommy, as always, my friend. Always a pleasure. This is wonderful. Always a pleasure. Andy, so great to talk to you again. Absolutely. We'll be chatting again soon. Darnell, welcome. Uh, how do you feel? This was great. Thank you so much for, for having me. And what a great film to unpack and talk about. I'm glad we didn't do something, you know, like Child 44. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you dodge a bullet or a train? But, yeah, but no, this is this is a great discussion, and, and I'm, re- I'm really... Uh, Thanks. I really love this podcast. Hey, we'll bring it back for Child 45. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody. On behalf of Darnell and Tommy and Andy, I'm Pete Wright. Uh, Make sure to head over to iTunes if you like the show. Drop us a review. We sure would appreciate it. Uh, Other than that, uh, we'll catch you next week as we unpack Logan. Thanks, everybody. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? 
supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. 